It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is MMA After Hours. I'm Michael Carlisle, joined as always by Micah Frankel. Micah, what's going on, man? Oh, man, just battling the fall head cold winds you know what i mean like just just attacking me this weekend and i'm I'm trying to bounce back you know they got me down but i'll i'll make the comeback or you'll try to make the comeback and it'll just pull you right back down like almeida kept doing to Derek lewis on saturday i'm hoping not to (laughs) drown i mean i fought through work uh you'll be proud i I know you love the sport i got out i covered some local boxing this weekend so we stay working even though this cold's beating us up i'm not flat on my back yet all right speaking of boxing before we get going um is there anything you'd like to say to me something like uh you were right i was wrong I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I yield to your vastly superior knowledge on all subject matters regarding everything. Something along those lines. Shout out to Abraham Pettis, <laughs> the new IBA flyweight world Nobody champion, representing cares. our very own state nope. that we film out that we broadcast out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh yeah, and a little thing. Michael Carlisle is right. Even the PFL has announced they will make more money having Francis Ngannou box in Saudi Arabia than do MMA in Saudi Arabia. So Francis Ngannou is a boxer. They now realize what Michael Carlisle has been telling us the whole time. There is not a worthy free agent opponent that we can make money off of it. It's a losing endeavor. And if there's any possibility that we can put Francis in a ring with Ruiz, Wilder or Joshua, those are wildly richer endeavors for everyone involved than having him in a pitiful MMA match against the guys that we can get. See, I knew they did. Oh, Francis Ngannou, my whole theory, and you were right all along. I thought he was going to be an MMA or an MMA cage again because he owes PFL. PFL makes no bones about that. 
He owes them. They're getting a piece of this pie somehow. And that's why they are still fully on board on his career because they probably still are owed MMA fights, but I wouldn't be surprised if they get a percentage without doing anything for letting him box. Yeah. I don't know what their agreement is with him as it relates to letting him box, but it's probably a safe bet. They get a little something at the very least and getting a little something from him boxing versus paying him to fight and paying his opponent to fight. That that's a losing proposition right there. So I don't think we now look, things can change. We'll see who pops up free agent wise and, and things like that. It, it can always change, but as the landscape is right now, I don't think he ever fights for PFL. It, it's better to have him out there. PFL MMA fighter, Francis and boxing, because you get a little publicity like that and you're saving a boatload of money. Certainly if the situation, if Dana White's like, you know what? Let's not deprive the fans. We need that super fight that everybody wants. Let's co-promote Jones and Nganu. At that point in time, you'll see Francis back in a in an octagon or an MMA cage. But barring something like that, a big you know, Stipe saying, "Screw you, UFC. Uh, I want to fight. Release me. I'm fighting Francis and something like that." Yeah, but otherwise, Francis is going to make more money boxing. PFL, they may or may not make a ton of money off of him boxing. But the money they save by not having him have to fight for them is certainly a plus for them. So, I mean, just strictly business-wise, it's a no-brainer. So, I just, having said all that, I was still surprised to see the PFL come out and actually acknowledge all that last week. Because I think deep down, we kind of probably all know it, even if we don't want to admit it. But at the same time, it doesn't make you or your company look good when you just come out and blatantly say it. Yeah, you know what? This is actually, look, Francis is going to make more money. And if we're being honest, this is a better deal for us. I kind of feel bad for Effie and Jopway, for Richard Torres, for Jared Anderson, all of the upcoming prospects in boxing. Uh, they all just got jumped over all of their 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 and 0 starts all with knockouts. Just got jumped over by Francis Ngannou to get all the big fights to break into the boxing world. Um, so those guys are going to have to work harder. Maybe you'll hear one of those names against Ngannou once. Because if this doesn't go well, it's two to three fights really for Ngannou if he's not able to come up with a win because you can't go back to the Fury fight. Like we mentioned, you got Joshua, you got Wilder, you're already starting at the top of the mountain. I wonder if he does stick around long enough to take on some of these hot prospects that'll be that next wave because he's kind of jumping into a heavyweight division that we've already established this name for five, six years. We've been waiting for some of these fights for quite a while. So they're at the end of their rope. So I, I wonder how much of an endeavor it'll be for boxing, how long for Francis, as we've wondered how long his career will be anyway, the knee right. injuries, his age, we've bring that up. Not to mention, God, I totally lost where I was going on this point. Um, Francis Ngannou, he rolled the dice. It was a big opportunity. Everything has came up great for him, except for maybe the PFL says, why do we want to pay you, pay your opponent? You only draw 67,000 pay-per-view buys. For most people, not just getting a big check from the Saudi government, 
this pay-per-view event in a lot of aspects yeah. was a commercial disaster what you did on pay-per-view no look you're 100 right on that uh, a couple things there and, and i'll get back to that as well you're talking as if francis Ngannou is going to make the transition into a full-time boxer and box and win titles and defend titles and all that this is all about making money i, I look i still think this is good for for pfl this is certainly good for Francis Ngannou because he's getting to do things he would not have been able to do had he stayed with UFC. Um, you brought up the pay-per-view buys. I'll get to those in a second. Uh, he made really, really good money losing to Tyson Fury. And if you really wanted to, you could make the argument, maybe he shouldn't have lost. Um, but this is a win, all the, no matter what happens, this is a win all the way around for Francis Ngannou. Now, you brought up the pay-per-view buys. And... If you were UFC, if you were top-ranked boxing, and you're putting on this event and you got 67,000 pay-per-view buys, people are losing their jobs, people are jumping out of windows. When you have big-time financial backers, as long as those backers are happy and they're more than happy to continue to throw out money, you don't really give a shit about those pay-per-view buys. The problem, you have another fight, and it's even less or in the same ballpark, how how much longer do the money backers really want to keep throwing money? And look, the, the pay-per-view part of it isn't all they're getting their return on investment from. So maybe they're still happy with that. But yeah, if this were a UFC event, if this were a straight-up PFL, we're going to pay-per-view, and you got 67,000 buys off Francis Ngannou, that's a huge problem. In this instance, as long as the money people are content and willing to keep throwing money for the next fight, the next fight, doesn't matter. Well, my only question then is, do you think that the lack of buys and then looking at the landscape compiled together, reinforce that notion to the PFL? We can't sell the pay-per-view on Francis Ngannou. There's no reason to have him in the cage. Yes, because even if he has stayed with UFC, you're only selling him on two fights. You're selling him with John Jones. You're selling him with Stipe again. And the Stipe one would, would even be a bit hard. Um, because you've been there and done that before. Um, but you, you you could have sold those. And I think ultimately UFC realized he doesn't want to be here. He wants to do these other things that we don't want him to do. They also knew that, that they have the data to all the UFC pay-per-views that he did. They also knew that, all right, we could sell this one. We could sell that. But that's really going to be about it. So that ultimately probably played into their decision just to cut ties with Francis. And again, regardless of anything we say here, you can't deny this is a win for Ngannou. He's getting paid very well, and he's getting to do exactly what he wanted to. Um, does that make it a good deal for PFL? Does that make it a good deal for the Saudis or whoever's backing the next boxing venture for Francis? Maybe, maybe not. But Francis is going to come out good in this, and ultimately that's what he was concerned with. Again, I don't think this was a good move for PFL other than the publicity. I think they realize it. Now, again, we don't know all the particulars. We know roughly what he gets if he fights for them. We know what his opponent gets. But what are, what's PFL getting to let him box? Maybe nothing, but I'm assuming they're getting something. So from that standpoint, if you're getting something and people actually throw out the name PFL instead of MMA or UFC, then 
maybe similar to their Jake Paul deal. Even if he never steps in a, in a cage, you're still getting something out of it. So that makes it worthwhile, but it's probably a safe bet. If you could only sell 67,000 pay-per-views with him boxing Tyson Fury, no matter who else you put him in a ring with next, you're probably not going to do any better. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Do another podcast, and I throw out factor fictions on that one. Uh-huh. Uh, factor fiction. Do you feel like PFL's plans, though, changed somewhere throughout the course of the week, the two weeks, the week of the fight and the week after the fight, that their plan of direction for Francis changed between seeing him, seeing the numbers, thinking about how much money that they probably in their crazy minds, because these are people that are talking about still buying Bellator, um, that they had different ideas before this. They're now full in on Francis, the boxer, but I can't believe that they signed him thinking they were never going to fight him in a cage, that they even got to Saudi Arabia thinking it. I feel like this had to be something to me that was more of a short-term idea that they bought into. Might have been Francis's idea all along. You can comment on that also, but I don't think it was always PFL's idea. I don't know, but I think it might have been. Ooh. Do, do you really think they signed Jake Paul to be an ambassador and promising he was going to fight in the, the PFL cage and, and really expect him to fight in the PFL cage? Unless maybe you could goad uh, Nate Diaz into coming over and fighting him. And Nate said something to the effect last week of, I'm not going to the minor leagues, F you. Um, so uh, as crazy as it sounds, if you look at the Jake Paul deal, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that this was PFL's plan all along. We'll sign him. We'll get publicity. Look, let's presume PFL, the people who run it, are, are pretty good business people. They agreed in their contract with, with Francis to pay his opponent $2 million, right? Am, am I right on that? Yes. Two, two million, that's the number? Who the well, fuck? No, on Francis' that? opponent, right? Right, right, his opponent. I think he's yes. guaranteed something like 8 to $10 million or something. But yes. is, who the fuck on that roster is worthy of a $2 million payday to fight Francis and Ghana? Nope. Now, maybe there was some hope we can lure a free agent. I don't really know what free agent, unless you were going to get somebody to fight out their USC deal and come over, that's still relevant. I, I don't know what, I don't want to say has been, uh, aging veteran free agent out there that was that's worth that money either. Maybe you do it just for the headlines and you don't care about the buys, much like with the boxing apparently. Um, but while I agree with you, it seems unlikely. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that this is going exactly the way PFL wanted it to. I don't know. Do you think Jake Paul versus KSI in the PFL is a possibility? <sighs> yeah. I don't know why they wouldn't just box, but yeah, something like that. But as far as actually fighting a, a real MMA fighter, I, I do have my doubts. Now I'm sure PFL could 
round up some <clears throat> contender, um, something like that. But I, I would be very surprised if you see. I, I think it would be more likely you see Jake Paul follow his brother into WWE. Uh, there was another MMA figure that I saw the other day talking about boxers. Um, do you think a Sean O'Malley crossover fight could be a potential down the road? Do you think you could see him getting to that McGregor kind of level with the UFC? Cause I feel like he's the next guy in that trajectory to be the pay-per-view darling. I think it's possible with him. The problem, if you're UFC, look, they made a lot of money off of the McGregor Mayweather fight, but it kind of opened up a can of worms. Look, we might've gotten to this point anyway, but that really opened the floodgates for MMA guys wanting to step into boxing and, and get big time paydays. If you're going to make an exception, you, you'd probably make it for O'Malley, assuming his uh, trajectory continues. I don't think UFC really wants to open up that floodgate unless they're going to benefit greatly from it. So to answer your question, Micah, I would say it's probably a lot more likely we do not see Sean O'Malley doing that, at least while he's under UFC contract. But I, if it's going to be someone, it would probably be O'Malley. All right, all right. Um, what what else is on the hot topics section for us today? Well, I really just wanted the apology. Uh, to, to to be honest, not even an apology, just the acknowledgement of my superior intellect, if you will. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, and I might have to explain that to you based on me being so right and you being so wrong. That means me being so much smarter, dude. I am totally oh, kidding. Okay, thank you. <laughs> And by the way, you know if the if the if the script was flipped here and PFL came out and said, "Nope, he's definitely fighting for us next," and they announced an opponent and it was somebody I had never heard of, you know I would not be apologizing to you the way you have diplomatically acknowledged my superiority here on this segment. So maybe we should just move on because yeah, I would not have shown you the same courtesy. I think we're both just surprised that the PFL came out and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, hands off. I'm like, OK, now you get the apology. It's like they heard you and they needed to reaffirm it to everybody. Yeah. Francis is not fighting MMA. Yeah. All right. I got one for you. If you want to stick with the, the hot button issues here for a bit. I don't believe UFC has confirmed it, but multiple reports state Raquel Pennington and Myra Buno Silva are going to fight for the vacant women's bantamweight title at UFC 297. Are we not even going to wait for the USADA deal to officially end before we just tell everybody without telling everybody that failing drug tests just don't matter a flying fuck anymore? The last time we saw Bruno Silva, and look, I get it. Techni she beat Holly Holm. She was on a little run. The result of that fight is a no contest because she failed a drug test. Now, accidentally, oopsie-daisy, intentional, whatever, ultimately, it really doesn't matter. She was given a suspension. She's serving out the suspension. 
why do we, and I understand there's some injuries involved with other fighters, but why do we reward that with, ooh, let's put you in a fight for a vacant title? To me, that sends the wrong message. And and look, to, to be fair, I think UFC is just doing what they feel like is the biggest and best fight they can put together based on on injuries and things like that right now. But I think if you're cynical and you're like, oh, they're just getting out of USADA because of McGregor, because of this, because they want to bring it in-house so they can control it. If you believe all that, uh, this certainly feeds into it. There's no punishment. There is absolutely no punishment. The fight is a no contest. Maru Benesilva, as I'm reading, is suspended, which is ex- which is going to expire November 29th. Mm-hmm. Uh, either way, it's not a long enough suspension to count, to hurt, to stop a fight from happening, to change the perspective of the scenario. I believe because it's a medication, you're obviously getting the feeling from the UFC that they look at this as oops it was a little mistake no big deal minor infraction couple months suspension not a big deal we're moving on and forward from it um if Bueno Silva would have followed the rules I believe it was a prescription that she didn't uh fully announce to USADA didn't say that she was taking I guess they're looking at that as a, a minor infraction versus where you did break the rules. Yeah. You think there would be a punishment. They're going to say, yeah, she was suspended, but it doesn't cost her anything. It, it was what? You're you're still just getting the next fight. Uh, thankfully for Bueno Silva, you have the penning, the Juliana Pena injury. Right. So maybe if Pena doesn't have the injury, you're getting Pena, Pennington, and you are looking at Bueno Silva as having missed her opportunity for the title. But I, it, seeing this announcement, you got to think she was just the number one contender. Yeah. It just doesn't matter that she tested positive. This was not going to hinder anything in her progression towards a title shot. And look, I am more than willing to 100% believe she didn't do anything intentional. Like you said, it, it was a prescription she was on and apparently just didn't properly notify you or whatever. Hey, I'm taking this. I, I, I'm good with that. But you're giving a fire. Let's help. Let's set that part aside. So Amanda Nunez is retired. You want me to stay excited about the Bantamweight title picture. I understand the Pena injury, but you're going to crown a new champ with Raquel Pennington versus someone coming off a no contest. I don't, I don't, that doesn't excite me for the fight itself. Now, again, you look back at what, um, Bruno Silva had done before the Holly home fight. She was on a three fight win streak. She did get her hand raised at the end of the home fight, but I don't know. To me, this is not an exciting fight. Look, to be fair with Pena out as well. I don't know that you, from that standpoint, I don't know what else you could have done. That would have been all that exciting. I mean, do you give it to Holly home? Granted, no contest, but we saw Holly, losing the last time she was in the cage. So, I, you know, uh, Aldana, uh, Caitlin Vieira. I mean, I don't know that there was a better fight they could have made. I mean, even if you set aside the suspension, the no contest and all that, if you're UFC, this might have been what you felt like was the best you could do under the circumstances with Pena being out still with the injury. 
it's a bad division right now. Yeah. It's a division that the UFC hasn't found a way to cultivate, grow, and expand. And I understand if the the UFC, you could look at it from what you just said. All these problems are on one table. But but what if you separate them? This fighter tested positive. She did not properly notify the authorities. She has broken the rules. Yes, she's on a three fight, a four fight win streak with that fraudulent win. And yes, she is a hot name. But let's look over at Jeff Nowitzki in the war room. Hey, how important is your drug program and people following the rules? Let's go there. Let's go with fighter safety first and foremost. I think you got to you slap the book at them. You sent her back down the ladder a little bit. You screwed up your chance because you screwed up your chance. You are the only one that had you test positive because you could not follow the rules. That is her fault. Now you want to move on to the other problem that the division is bad. Well, Sean Shelby, Mick Maynard, Dana White got to look at themselves in the mirror for that one. Yeah. If you're not finding younger talent, if you're not able to go to these other countries that we've all been, the amount of countries that are being represented on this card is phenomenal. If you look at it as we're going to preview UFC 295 coming up here this weekend, you're telling me you can't find any 135 pounders in the world. We knew that Amanda Nunez was not long for the promotion for a while. So I can understand we're just putting together the best fight we can. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of great options. Like you said, maybe Aldana Vieira home, uh, what they would have going for them as at least none of them tested dirty yeah. recently. None of them had a suspension for PEDs that really does halt your momentum, but you are the UFC and you control the narrative. All you're going to do is show the submission win and not mention that it's a no contest. And we're able to go. Bueno Silva has performed phenomenally over her last four fights, regardless yeah. Of the actual result in the record book. Yeah, the problem f with this for me is, and I don't think for a second she'd ever do it. But since Holly Holm was Bruno Silva's last opponent, no contest officially. If you're Holly and you're a former champ, you're like, all right, I've been clean this entire time. I've got the jackets to prove it. All the 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 clean test. Well, why am I staying clean? Obviously, you get rewarded. If you win, no matter what, even if it gets overturned, if I want another run before I retire, it seems to me the easiest way is to take things I shouldn't and damn the consequences. Same thing with, let's look down at the bottom of the, of the division. Let, let's just take uh, 14 in the women's band of weight is Chelsea Chandler. Well, here I am, 14 in the division. I'm probably, if I'm being honest with myself, not going anywhere fast. The division's weak. Myra Bruno Silva is just getting a title shot after a no contest for failing a drug test. Fuck it. Let's roll the dice. Let's take everything we can. Let's hope we don't get caught. If we do, eh, I'll serve out my little suspension, and then we'll move on about business, and I'll continue to climb the rankings, and I'll get myself into title contention. And, and I'm not saying that the UFC would, would actually do that, but that is kind of the message you're sending to these fighters, is it not? There's a lack of deterrent for the punishment that's going to be ahead of you. If the results are still elevating or having you remain in your same spot, 
what's to deter people and and not to bring up old ones but how far away from the title did two years or four years away for a uh eop or epo how far did that really take dillashaw out of the title picture it was the champion that lost the belt is returning for a big fight it, it's it's yeah. a it's not a exact reaction from the propaganda that the UFC gives us about how they feel about fighters testing positive for banned substances. Yeah. And, and uh, this sounds so bad, but, but it's true. You brought up Dillashaw, um, a, a bigger, uh, John Jones has had issues in the past. It's a little different when you're talking about fighters with success and, and you're putting them right back in contention when they come back, because at least they've been there. And I don't want to discount, Bruno Silva's journey or her recent success. But the reality is in the grand scheme of things, she had accomplished exactly squat. Her biggest fight to date is ruled in no contest. And you reward that with the time. I, I just think it sends the wrong man. Make her come back and fight somebody. Again, if Pena is not hurt, we're probably not having this conversation. Like you said, it's probably Pena and Pennington and Silva comes back, she has a fight, and then assuming she wins, she's right there for the winner. Everything, you know, sometimes everything's not as easy as we'd like it to be, and, and you got to do things. And maybe that's why we're where we're at now with uh, get, reportedly getting Pennington and, and Myra Bruno Silva uh, for the vacant title. But but I, I do think it's a bad optic. It, it doesn't... Even if you have the best of intentions, it does not look good. It is not a good look, and I think it sends the wrong message to the fighters. While we're on the subject of fight announcements, Micah, Dana White this week announced upcoming title fights for UFC 297, 298, and 299. We are all about the fight announcements. Uh, you got the weird look of the right now rumored women's bantamweight title fight to claim a new champion the main event will see sean strickland decris duplessis good to see that duplessis is healthy i was kind of worried not that hamzat shimaev was jumping him over in the rankings but that the lack of talking about duplessis meant that his recovery from the knee surgery was going horribly. Uh, I think we all saw on social media, him there supporting the South African rugby team, I believe in France and looks to be healthy. So that's good to see. Cause you hate to see somebody get injured and just not have their prime. Sean Strickland. This is, this is the quick turnaround for him. He's going to be fighting in January, won the title in September, had fought before that in July, before that it had been January and December. So this is a guy keeping up quite the pace. And now we move over to UFC 298. That's going to be now February. Mm -hmm. We get the Alexander Volkanovsky Ilya Taporia featherweight title fight for our main event. We know it's going to be February exact date and location to be announced uh, for the January card. That's Strickland Duplessis. Everybody it's I Toronto. skipped over it. That yeah. Toronto January 20th, right? The date I got right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. January 20th. So at least we know those two title fights look like it's right there. Then February. We're not sure where in the world that one will be. 
It's the featherweight title fight. I'm probably actually getting ahead of myself. What do you think about Duplessis Strickland, the announcement as the main event, Sean Strickland, four-month turnaround from winning the title on short notice? Uh, I'm fine with it. Uh, as long as Strickland's healthy, you know, four months is, is fine. Um, like you said, glad to see Duplessis back and obviously uh, recovered from the, the knee injury. I do find it interesting that Volkanovski and Taporia was the original rumored title fight for that card. Uh, we know Volkanovski uh, just coming off the loss a few weeks ago. We don't want to rush him back. Let's give him an extra three and a half, four weeks. Yeah, okay, I guess. But if he can go in February, you think he could have went in January. But, yeah. I, look, I am all about the fighter safety. If that's all he needed was three and a half, four extra weeks, then great. But I'm a little surprised that that one's not the March uh, title fight. I kind of think fighters need a good three months away from fighting after they've been heavily concussed, probably six months between fights in that kind of damaging scenario at the highest level. Hey, I don't get to control Volkanovsky's career. I can't believe I'm saying this. I think I'm already leaning to Boria in that one because of the short turnaround. I'm going to be one of the naysayers fueling Volkanovsky for this fight. <laughs> this feels like a damaging, bad idea. Um, and, and I feel like I was kind of valid from as conniption shit as I went a couple of weeks ago about how you're using a Volkanovsky's prime and not taking care of your fighter at all. It's interesting to see that the guy that got knocked out is going to return quicker than the guy that had almost a year off and less than a round's worth of work. That guy's not returning in the near future, but the dude that got waxed in that scenario, right back on the horse, right back in there. I, I don't like how this is playing out. I would have much rather heard Islam Mahashev. I don't care if it's Oliveira. I don't care if it's Gaethje, him making the quick turnaround instead of Volkanovsky. Yeah, I'm with you on that. At the very least, I would have liked to have seen, not to, to jump ahead on you, but the, the 298 title fight, the, the, the Bantamweight uh, title fight between Sean O'Malley and Marlon Vera uh, that's set for March. I would have rather seen that one in February, and at the very least, give Volkanovsky an extra month. But again, we don't get paid to make those decisions. Not our control. And that's where you say the optics that the UFC put out. They're the only ones that are concerned about it. And they're the only ones that control what they do. And they're the ones that make the optics where we have these kind of discussions that they feel a little insidious. That, that's not our doing. That's their doing. But Sean O'Malley, Cheeto Vera, that fight is happening. Uh, apparently, O'Malley had some kind of injury heading into the Sterling fight where he was definitely scared of being on the ground. I'm not sure what ligament or ailment specifically that was, but I'm guessing they're saying they didn't think he could have got up. So I'm guessing that's why we've seen Sugar Sean on the sideline for so long, but he has got his handpicked desired opponent in Cheeto Vera. That is going to be March. And again, that's the TBA on the location and the date specifically. You would assume that's Vegas. But I would that's 299. I would also be shocked if 300's not in Vegas. So not that you haven't done back-to-back -back Vegas pay-per-views before, but maybe they don't want to do that. So we'll see which one of those isn't Vegas. Uh, look, it, also real quick, because we should point out, Volkanovsky's not getting in the octagon without doctor's clearance. So he's either been cleared for this date or they're very confident he will be. 
So, look, while we talk about fighter safety, and understandably so, let's not go overboard with UFC trashing fighters or not. If they Put it like this. If the doctor signs off on it, if you're UFC and that's when you want to do it and the fighters want to do it and the doctor says okay, then what? I mean, yes, you could absolutely say, you know what? Yeah, the doctor said this, but let's give it a little extra time. Could you do that? 100%. Do you have to? Obviously not. No, no, no. That's why it's interesting optics that the guy that was concussed, knocked out, will be returning before the guy that was not. And and it's just the optics that you're putting out there. You can make your yeah. assumptions. And, and you can say if the doctor signed off on it, well, no doctor signed off on Francis Ngannou's knee that was destroyed, and we still saw him fight Surreal Gone. I know a concussion is a little bit different, but it's also, and remember, because the UFC self-governed themselves in Abu Dhabi, they handed down a mandatory 45-day suspension. We will long be past 45 days by the time that fight happens in Toronto. So I believe it's 45 days or mm-hmm. a doctor's clearance. Some commissions go 60 days. Some commissions go 90 days, even here in America with the no contact. But that's really up to the athlete. Because yeah. it's not like you're going to go into the gym. Hey, I'm here for sparring. Hey, is this day 88 or day 89 of your suspension? It's kind of up to the athlete anyway to report some of this stuff, to manage some of this stuff. Like I said, it's up to you, though, how you feel to judge the optics of what the UFC is presenting us with. We, we've we gotten very deep in the optics of the fight game in this episode. The optics of, yeah, we signed Francis Agadu, but he's never going to fight for us. Uh, the optics of, yeah, you failed a drug test. That's ah, all right. Well, let's put you in this vacant title fight. The, the optics of this, uh, a lot of optics so far. And hell, let's keep the optics going. How about the optic of, yeah, Derek Lewis went five rounds. But he did it on his back for about 22 and a half minutes of the 25 minutes of the fight against Almeida on Saturday night. The UFC's main priority is the show must go on because they had the show booked. They needed a main eventer. They needed a main eventer that had charisma, a big name, a draw to him for that. ESPN plus audience such as yourself who wasn't so excited about this Brazilian heavy card in Sapalo that didn't have a lot of the, we don't have the who was the Machitas. We don't have that name recognition value. Derek Lewis brought that no matter whether he was coming in on incredibly short notice. And even you as one of his biggest supporters recognized this was probably a horrendous mistake, just like Volkanovski versus Islam. We call that from, a mile away, but we got a fight night. We got a main event and Derek Lewis, if nothing else is dangerous. Every moment that you are not having him on his back in that octagon. And even though it was 20, almost 22 minutes on his backside, those other three minutes were kind of insane. They were. And uh, <sighs> I don't want to sound like we're trying to polish up a turd. It was a loss, and and he certainly earned that loss, Lewis did. but Got dominated. Right, but he did get dominated. But even in, in the domination, Almeida not doing more than he did in control because of the respect you have for Derek Lewis and 
if he worms his way out, could quickly knock you out before you know what the hell's going on. I mean, that that is a testament uh, to, to Lewis. And, and, and look, he got out of those a few times and then got pulled right back down. Um, certainly for a big guy like that, his ground game, he's gotten sneaky better at it, but Almeida was just too much for him. And I was, I kind of had a feeling this is the way this is. I think if the original fight had, um, played out, this would have been much different. But like you said, you have Lewis coming in on short notice. Look, he could have very easily got a quick knockout. It didn't go that way. Almeida got him down early and often, and that was the story in every single round. I was a little surprised that you didn't see some more efficient ground and pound out of Ameda from the top position, that he wasn't able to get much done in the violence aspect. Are you but, Are you surprised the ref never stood them up at some point? I am, and I'm not. Uh, that's really up to the referee's discretion. And which referee was it? I don't believe it was Herb Dean, right? It was. I think it was Herzog. I have to go back and look. For Almeida, he was moving around. He tried head and arms. He tried to get the back for the rear naked. I'm not into gifting fighters the ability to stand up. Get it up. I understand if the guy is not doing much. Almeida, to me, did enough to keep the fight in that position, but I, I don't think anybody would have argued with the stand-up. Again, also, it's Derek Lewis, and if he's holding you, if you're in mount and he's bear-hugging you to get close to your stomach, there's not much you're going to be able to do to stop a force like that. No, and, and ultimately, look, it's hard to, to fault Almeida for not doing more. He did what he needed to do. He controlled basically the entire fight, with, with the exception of a few seconds here and there. Um but yeah, look, you also have to be smart and being smart doesn't always equate to an exciting fight, but you know, just like what we talk about Derek Lewis. All right. Derek's taking the fight on short notice. Yes. He can get the knockout, but this could easily not go well for him. Well, I made agreeing to a new opponent on short notice as well. It's one with a completely different style. So there's risk he's taking as well. He did what he needed to do. I don't fault him if you looked at that fight and was like, well, that was boring as hell. I wanted more excitement. I hear you. I get that if you feel that way. But I don't fault Almeida for it either. You do what you got to do sometimes. You understand the commentary pushing for the finish. They have a producer in their head trying to figure out what to say because talking about positional dominance and trying to wear the man out and the beauty and art of jujitsu is going to turn off the general audience. I, I think we also have to respect Derek Lewis. And I'm not saying he would have beat Daniel Cormier. I, I see the look. I see the look. <laughs> I did not say he would beat Daniel Cormier, but I think we do now realize that that back injury was a big contributor to why we saw a, a Derek Lewis who would, tap from halfway trokes. It wasn't probably the choke that was getting him. It was probably the back, the torque on the spine, something on a disc that was more agonizing than what the choke was. Cause you saw it was pretty damn hard for Ermeda to wrap up that neck, that trap. He was unable to get anything significant. So yeah. I think that kind of gave me a new perspective of where we saw Derek for when he fought for the title. 
But with that said, he's coming off of an incredible knockout. That third round, he rushes at Almeida, had him in all kinds of trouble, and Almeida weathers the storm and dominates a former title challenger and the guy with the most knockouts in UFC history. So you can see where you feel like that young Brazilian is a possibility to be a force here in the division moving forward. Yep, and Almeida moves up to seven in the heavyweight rankings. I'm assuming you redo, you reschedule the Blades fight next for him. Depends on what's going on with Blades, why he had to pull out. Volkov's also sitting right there. Yeah. Either one of those would be the likely name. You get a win, and you're quite possibly looking at a title shot. Yep, yep. Uh, your co-main event, uh, Gabriel Bonfim, falls. Nicholas Dalby gets the uh, TKO in the second round. We had a lot of fights drop from this card. We had the other bomb theme drop from this card. Maybe Gabriel wishes he had dropped as well. Dude, what a ridiculous comeback. Do yeah. not undersell the story. Nicholas Dalby was getting whooped the last part of the first round and the first part of the second round. I mean, it was an excellent start to the fight, bringing the pressure throwing so much offense at Bonfim that Bonfim looked like he couldn't set anything up until he got it to the ground, was dominant, got it to the ground again. And this time, Dobby's able to turn it around, get on a hip, fight his way back up. It looked like Bonfim was tired. And this is where this relentless assault in the pocket, in the clinch, love the Dobby uppercuts, the knees, the elbows, forcing Bonfim to crumble the ground and pound gets the finish. It's a four fight win streak, seventh knockout of his career. I, I thought Bonfim would win this one again, but I thought Dobby was a good test to see him win, get the finish and have such a comeback. I am blown away and impressed with Dobby on this one. Yep. This one gets your fight of the night. Yeah. I, I thought it was a big win for Dolby. No, no doubt about that. Um, especially after we kind of went all in on Bonfim last week, but well, well, we'll forget about that. That that was in the past, Micah. It doesn't really matter. But no, but huge win for Dolby, and and now you got to wonder what's next for him. Knocking on the door of the rankings in yeah. such a deep division, I don't know if four fight win streak. You would think that gets you there. It might actually be one more, but at least doing it in that co-main event, it shows you stepped up in the moment. I know you don't want to go too deep into these other ones. Uh, Rodrigo Nascimento. He did great work in the clinch, in the pocket also yep. to get the win over Dontel Mays. Uh, Kyle Barallo, if you would have told me he would have got a decision win and not got a takedown, I would have been stunned. And we saw him with the karate stance, getting in and out, mixing up the leg kicks. Abus Magomedov is a big heavy-handed striker, and Kyle was able to stay on the feet with him for 15 minutes, pull out the decision win. So nothing but, I thought, also good progression there that we saw from Bayalio. No doubt about it, and um, very nice win for him for sure. Yeah, I was surprised no takedowns, and, and was still able to get the win, but um, certainly earned the uh, unanimous decision in that one. Uh, we mentioned fights dropping off. Uh, the next fight was a catch weight. Um, Burner gets the uh, the win there. A lot of guys had problems. Disgusting knockout. Oh no, absolutely, but. Uh, a lot of guys had issues. Now, look, one of the the fight that dropped day of was an illness, but um, you did have weigh in issues that that cost us a couple of fights on this card, and and this fight uh, wound up being a catch weight. This one ends up being a catch weight. I be, believe that 
Kyan Krashwecki, who was the loser in this fight, came in on short notice. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that attributed to the weight miss. Uh, Brenner, disgusting left hand. I, I, that's not often you see a guy land a left hook to the temple on the on the same side of the fighter. Normally, if you throw a left, you land to your opponent's right. If you throw a right, you're landing to his left. This look hook, left hook landed to the left ear. Disgusting knockout. Uh, it was Armin Petrosian. He's the one that got ill, and we were yes. unable to see him versus uh, um, Vieira. Mm-hmm. So this card had a lot of problems. If you want to jump down also, Edwara Mora, a huge knockout win in her debut, uh, the fourth knockout of her career, just looked to dominate Monsreta Ruiz, but you miss weight by three and a half pounds. Three and a half pounds. 119.5. Unacceptable. Uh, 100%. And I don't think I'd take that fight. If my opponent misses weight by three and a half pounds... There's no benefit to me to take it other than being a team player, doing right by the company, doing right. Yes, there's all that. But you put yourself at such a disadvantage because your opponent's rehydrating, putting weight back on, already got a head start on you because they didn't cut as much as you did. Um, Depending on how your weight cut went, you know, that takes a lot out of you. I, I know we hate it when fights fall off, so... You know, kudos for taking the fight. Maybe you shouldn't have taken this one. Quite possibly not. The size advantage was so vast that I wonder if Mora, who has had regional titles in Brazil at 115, so she can't make the weight, and also at 125, I wonder if the UFC says, maybe you're more of a flyweight at this level. That was when you were younger. You made 125. Uh, And for Ruiz, you had to look at back was against the wall. She's on a losing streak. I wonder if this ends up getting her cut for the loss. So I wonder in her position, you're like, Hey, if I fight and lose, I get cut. Maybe if I don't maybe. take the fight, I'm a troublemaker and I get cut. Hey, maybe if I don't take the fight, they're like, Hey, we're not giving you any money. And it's a wasted trip all the way down to Brazil. So I could see a, a lot of contributing factors that go against the fighter that did their job and made weight and forces them to have to be in this bad circumstance. And it was such an, outmatch fight a great uh platform to take off for marara from this fight hopefully they clean up the scale or adjust the weight class for her because she looks to have a bright future really did look refined in all areas of the game yep. anything else from sao paulo we need to hit on uh okay victor pet reno that left hook of Modestus bukowskis that was great to see seventh knockout of his career that was after the top controlling first round that or a couple minutes that didn't produce a lot. So I think that Pet Reno, you need to see that promise out of him. Uh, Renat Fakhradinov versus uh, EZDS. Fakhradinov. Yeah, Fakhradinov, you Back. too. I'm kidding. I do that every time. It, it gets old after a while. I apologize. Dude, and he fact himself in this one. First round left hook, knocked down, near finish. Looked like he had it all going his way. Uh, we know him as this monster wrestler, and he's like, hey, look, I landed the left hook. I'm going to strike through the second round. It's a close second round. It can go either way. Still not going for his takedown. This is where EZDS finds his confidence, his groove, lands a big body kick. He's on the back. Rear naked choke attempt is deep. It's a one-sided round. Yes, I go 10-8, and we end up with a draw, and it's a majority draw. One judge actually scores 
round two and three for EZDS. Fakhradinov literally had the win in his hand and F freaked it up again. Uh, you mentioned the 10 8. I, I think one of the judges scored one of the Luis Almeida rounds, the fourth round, I think. I'll look it up. Um, a 10 8. Could you have done all five of those, or at least four of the five 10 8 rounds for Almeida? I mean, with the, the amount of, again, maybe if you're doing more ground and pound while you've got him down, but talk about controlling every round in a dominant fashion. If you want to get into the 10 9 versus 10 8 rounds, I think Almeida Lewis, you could make the argument, you could have seen several 10-8 rounds there. I got to agree with you there. Everything outside of the third round, when Lewis rushed Almeida and had him in trouble, yeah, one, two, four, five, yeah, I could see 10-8s. Angela Hill got in the pocket, got the clinch, and hit five takedowns, five different takedowns, beating Denise Gomez. That experience showed through for Angela Hill. I didn't know if this was going to be a bad matchup for her. And Mark DeCasey, Eight and a half minutes of control time is enough to get the split decision win in the opening fight of the night. Uh, we also had some action around the world real quick. I want to touch on Carlo. Uh, we have Jack Haggerty, the one Muay Thai world champion, now becoming also the world, their world kickboxing bantamweight champion. He gets a second round knockout of... Fabricio Andrade, Andrade coming off of just destroying John Lineker, moving back to his first sport of striking, but he had been doing MMA for the last few years. Haggerty, big pressure. He lands a perfect left high kick off the temple. A right hand down the pipe is what knocks out Andrade. Uh, we had a double weekend of MMA in Sao Paulo. It started with LFA 30 minutes away, and we got the full results up at cageminds.com. Uh, Hudno Cunha gets a huge victory, becoming the LFA champion. He was taken down, he was getting beaten up, and then he's able to change the trajectory, gets the takedown, gets to mount, finds the head and arm choke. So you have a new LFA heavyweight champion, and then we have Gabriel Costa collecting the interim. LFA lightweight title crazy finish in that one website has the full details bare knuckle was in Orlando Dave Mundell second round knockout still the middleweight champion and he made waves finally calling out Mike Perry Mike Perry you think you're the biggest name in the division don't you want to be the champion come and fight me so a little bit of noise shaking up there in Orlando from bare knuckle all right, there you go. And uh, Sadamato did score the fourth round, 10-8 for uh, Almeida, just to go back on that. Uh, that but that was the only 10-8 in that fight. Yeah, you're right. That is surprising. A little bit, a little bit. Again, if you do a little more ground and pound while you, you got him down, you, it's probably a lot easier to score those 10-8s, but still. UFC 295 this Saturday, New York City, Madison Square Garden now. We don't have John Jones, Stipe Miocic. I still love the hell out of this card. Uh, your main event, light heavyweight title, Yuri Pashaka versus Alex Pajeda, Sergey Pavlovich, Tom Aspinall for the interim heavyweight title is your co-main event. As far as plan B's go, Micah, this is a pretty damn good plan B. This is a really fun, really exciting card. This main event is going to be ridiculous. Yep. Alex Pajeda has been through some wars in kickboxing. 
He's now hydrated at 205 pounds. I don't think he'll have that chinniness that he did against Adesanya. Prochaska is battle-tested. The guy has 33 professional MMA fights. Only four haven't went in his favor. In the UFC, does he have that name, that recognition? He's beat Vulcan, Reyes, and Glover. Two of those names aren't what they were when he fought them. And you got to size up how does that performance against Glover tooth and nails gritty performance took all the way to the fifth round Prochaska was hittable you can't do that so much against Alex Pajeda the man has ridiculous knockout power on the other side it's Yuri Prochaska with 25 of his 29 wins in MMA by knockout he's no slouch when it comes to it himself and he is incredibly unorthodox and awkward throwing spinning maneuvers, throwing standing hammer fists. The creativity is boundless from Prochaska and Pajeda is nonstop excitement because the guy carries his hands at his hips because he has such belief in his chin, his power and his uh, instincts reactions to be able to counter. This is incredible fight for a main event. It is I'm not sure how you're leaning on this. I'm leaning Pajeda here just because of the long layoff for Yuri coming back from uh, the injury. June of 22, the last time we saw him inside the octagon. Yeah, Look, it may not make a bit of difference in the world. I think I need to see it first. So I'm probably leaning Pajeda on this one. I'm looking at a photo of Yuri Prochaska submitting Alex Pajeda's mentor, Glover Teixeira. Yeah. That that weighs me a lot that he submitted a black belt in the fifth round of a world title fight. The grueling effort that had to be put out there to make this kind of recovery from what Dana White and the PI termed as the worst shoulder injury that they've ever seen. The experience in MMA, specifically, so much, almost five times as much experience in MMA. I really want to lean on the side of Prochaska. I'm a huge Pajada fan. We've seen that in person. But I feel like the experience is such a huge factor. You look at the betting odds. You got minus 130. That recent activity does see Pajada as the favorite but he only got Pachaska plus 110. This is a toss-up. Yeah, I know. Or you see something different. Yeah, it is a toss-up. I'm seeing uh, plus 130 for Yuri and minus 155 for Pajeda. But um, different sites are going to have different odds. But point being, neither one an overwhelming favorite or a big-time underdog. Here's the other thing I can't shake, and, and maybe I shouldn't hang on to it as much as I have. I can't help but remember you talk about looking at the photo, him submitting Teixeira, I can't help but remember how close Yuri came to losing that fight and, and Teixeira getting the, the the submission win. And not to mention also, remember, Yuri kind of likes to hang that chin out there. Yeah. And, and it's been tested. But, man, there's something else about wanting to submit a, a test to Alex Pajeda. I, I, I will not be surprised either way. Agreed. But I don't think this one goes to the fifth round. I, I thought that same way against clever Prochaska. Uh, I, I don't know. That's a great one. 
Do you think that the cardio doesn't matter for the co-main event? We got the heavyweight, a vacant heavyweight title. It's Tom Aspinall. It's Sergey Pavlich. I love this. Aspinall, 30 years old, six foot five. Pavlich, 31 years old, six foot three. These are full, big, athletic, like looking like linebackers, like tight end looking yeah. athletes of heavyweights. And they're young and they're in their prime. It's funny. You said you didn't think the main event goes the distance. I'll bet you anything, this one ain't going the distance. But does training, does cardio and all that come into play here? You're damn right it does. Um, this should be a hell of a fight. We've been talking about Pavlovich for a while now. Obviously, Aspinall back healthy. Um, the hype on him before the injury. We saw how he looked in his return. This still isn't Jones Stipe. That's understandable. But like I said at the outset, as far as plan B's go, this is one hell of a plan B. I cannot wait for this fight. Um, uh, I, I don't even know how to go on this. I, I really want to lean Pavlovich here. I I don't think a sane, rational human being would ever pick against Tom Aspinall, though. So th this one, I don't, I'm not 100% sure how this one's going to play out, Micah. Well, real quick, give us the betting odds, because as I'm looking at UFC.com, I'm seeing a couple blank lines here. So I didn't know if you saw a betting line. And actually, well, it looks like you're looking that up yeah. uh, to remind you guys, Aspinall, 10 submissions, 10 knockouts, three submissions. You have seen him submit Alexander Volkov straight arm bar in the octagon and very high opinion of the skills of Mr. Volkov, not to mention the TKO of Tybura in the comeback and also getting out Sergei Pavlich. He's also submitted Andre Arlovsky. So you look at 30 years old, 16 fights into his career, number four in the world. He's not a phenom, but this is one of those blue chip prospects. On the other side, Pavlich is the classic heavyweight. This incredible power. 15 knockouts, six fight win streak. They're all first round knockouts. Marcelo Gome, Maurice Green, Shamil Abdurmahimov. He took out Derek Lewis, Tai Tuivasa, and Curtis Blades. This is a guy that has a, made a systematic demolition path through the heavyweight division to earn a title shot. Yep. Depending on where you look, it fluctuates a little. But Aspinall minus 115, Pavlovich minus 105. So Aspinall would be your slight favorite. Um, and again, those numbers do vary a little bit from uh, sportsbook to sportsbook, but still that same area, Aspinall, the slight favorite. The thing that you have to be most worried about if you're going in favor of Pavlich is him getting trapped on the cage. You saw what offense Alistair Overeem was able to create. Now, since then, there has been a win over Curtis Blades. If you're going to be Blades, you know at some point you were able to defend and nullify a takedown with the grappling that Aspinall has. Is that something he looks to attack because the striking is so dangerous? Because Aspinall does come in with three losses on his record, even though they're all coming by submission. Mm -hmm. Was it playing around on the ground? Did you get caught and get hurt? it's hard to go against Pavlich where we've seen it's hard to go against either one of these guys because you've seen nothing but success and dominance. Yeah. If you were putting my, uh, my feet to the fire, I'd pick Pavlovich. Not a, not a pick. I feel good about nothing against him, but more of a respect to Aspinall. But again, look, that that's easy. I'm not going out on, uh, on too much of a limb there. 
um, as far as that one goes. Your featured fight, women's strawweight, number five, Jessica Andrade versus number seven, Mackenzie Dern. That should be a good one. Is it a good one or or is it just the, the end of it's Jessica a competitive Andrade? One. Well, and it may wind up maybe compared from the standpoint of competitive because you could make the argument both these fighters, all right, five and seven, but maybe not heading in the direction they'd like to be headed in. Well, Jessica Andrade is a three fight skid, yeah. and she's been stopped in all of them twice submitted. Uh oh. Mackenzie Duran, seven wins by submission. Jiu-Jitsu Phenom, not to mention getting stopped by punches. Wait, when did Jessica Andrade, able to take the thump of a 35er, get stopped by punches? Also, I'm just a little worried that the train is going off the tracks and Andrade just keeps driving it downhill. It's a three-fight skid, and it's three and it's one and three in this year, in 2023. It's not like, hey, I'm losing. Let's take some time off. Let's regroup. Let's see what's going wrong. No, it's keep rushing her out there, UFC. She's saying yes. I don't know if this is the Jessica Andrade retirement tour. I'm just trying to cash as many checks as I can this year and not come back. But I'm not confident in her. On the other side, Dern. Two and two in her one, last two four. Well, no, she's two well, and two in her last four. Oh, yeah. See, and I like to say two of her last three, if you look at it. Well, but it's two and two in her last four. Yeah. She did beat Angela Hill. We saw what that win is. Her loss is to Yan Shalnan, who there's a lot of speculation. She could be fighting for the title. And the win before that was Tisha Torres. Torres yeah. So I kind of like where Dern is at more than Andrade, even though Andrade is one big hook from turning it all around. I, I just don't know what in such a quick turnaround again, after coming off of a brutal loss, how you can have improved. It looks like a dangerous fight, a trap one for me. It's going to be a hard hitting fight. No, no doubt about it. Uh, probably not going the distance either. What else stands out to you, Micah? I love these opening two fights on the main card, 14 versus unranked. So much moments. Matt Frivola, it's a three-fight win streak. He has seven finishes overall. And if you go look at Sheridog, he might have the coolest profile pick of any fighter. Yes, I'm giving you the chance to go search it. Michael Carlisle comes in with so much momentum, taking on Benoit Saint-Denis, the top French lightweight prospect who has 12 finishes, nine by submission, a four fight win streak in his own right. The last two, the neck crank of Ishmael Bonfim, the TKO demoralizing and breaking of Tiago Moises, kind of Islam Mahashev looking in that right. Both guys couldn't have more momentum from Vola. His last three wins are all First round knockout, and he stopped Drew Dober in the last one. You saw the profile pick. I know it. He's a bullwhip away from pulling off the Indiana Jones look. I, I'm just saying. Epic, epic, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah epic. Uh, also, opening up that card, you got 45ers, Diego Lopez versus Pat Sabatini. Lopez, 20 finishes, 22 wins. Dude, he was ultra exciting and fun against Evilov. And then he comes out and submits Gavin Tucker, Sabatini, tenacious grappler, five and one in the UFC. I, I like Lopez because he keeps things exciting. But if you have any lag in cardio, Sabatini is someone who's going to ex expose it, make it a long night for you. Now, if you look at the middle prelims, uh, there is a uh, a fight that I believe is actually not even happening anymore. 
I do believe we're going to see that Matthews Robecki. Oh, there it is. It's changed. Matthews Robecki is now taking on Roosevelt Roberts on short notice. Ah. Roosevelt Roberts returning to the octagon. It was Norrell. Norello is out with injury. So that's a quick change to announce to you guys. Uh, in the flyweight division, that's your feature prelim. Steve Egger, a decision win over David Dvorak. He's 10-1. and one. The Australian, we don't know much about him, but the debut, so impressive. He's already 14 in the world. Alessandro Costa, he pushed Amir Albazi in his debut. Didn't get the win there. Came back and gets a finish of Jimmy Flick. That should be exciting at 125. 115, again, a lot of momentum. Tabitha Ricci. Four fight win streak. She's number 13 in the world. Great Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Well, um, you have uh excuse me, she's number 10 in the world. Yeah. On the other side, Lupita Godinia is number 13 in the world, a three-fight win streak. Both former LFA champions. I'd say that Godinia is a little more wrestling, sharp jab, Ricci, boxing, and jiu-jitsu. Interesting one there. Uh Nazim Shedikov is a Ray Longo product he's coming off of the win over terrence mckinney in his debut a nine fight win streak taking on a tough kickboxer in the uriah faber train Vashislav borchev six knockouts coming off of knocking out machete i really like all those middle prelims uh earlier on on the card you get jared gordon versus mark madsen gordon's good everywhere madsen looks to push the pace and is a grappler both guys have had a rough skit of it. That one should be sneaky, entertaining. Um, at 125, a couple guys that are just starting to make their waves in the UFC. Coming off the Contender Series, you have Kevin Boras, eight knockouts of his nine wins. He's from Peru, taking on Joshua Van from Myanmar. I think he might be the first fighter that I've seen in the octagon from Myanmar. Normally, we're talking about those guys competing under the one championship banner and van seven finishes in his eight wins, a six fight win streak. So I won't go over every fight this weekend, just touch on the ones that are really kind of intriguing me. Yeah. Uh, pay-per-view um, 10 PM Eastern time on ESPN plus um, really looking forward to this. It should be a really good time. ESPN news. will have the prelims. Uh, I'm trying to do my eight Eastern, uh, and then the uh, the early prelims on Plus and uh, Fight Pass. So yeah, should be a really good card. Again, as far as Plan Bs go, I, I think UFC, at least on paper, heading into it, knock this one out of the park. Uh, what else do we need to hit on, Micah, before we get the heck out of here? You said Plan Bs. I want to ask what your Plan B on Friday night. My Plan B on Friday night. What will your plan be? Oh, what will my plan be? I don't know. Maybe you got some time to squeeze in a little free bare knuckle MMA on YouTube. Uh, fresh out of court, away from Colby Covington. I believe possibly now on. I don't even want to allege what's going on with Jorge Masvidal. But you got grain bread, bare knuckle, main event, Alan Belcher, Roy Nelson, Heavyweight title fight. Don't forget the winner is going to move on to face Junior Dos Santos. Bare knuckle MMA. Heck, Jason Knight, Curtis Melende, uh, Melender, uh, Chase Sherman, Hector Lombard, Francisco Trinaldo. 
Alex Nicholson, Joshua Weems. Timeout. Timeout. Time time bets. Timeout. So hold on. And this is Jorge's game bread, right? Game bread, bare knuckle yeah. MMA. Is now I know Jorge's taking a lot of shots through the head. Is he unaware of what year it is? Oh, he knows what year it is, and this is why okay. it is happening. Biloxi, Mississippi, Coast Coliseum in Mississippi, right. the heart of where bare knuckle begins in Mississippi. Yes, Roy Nelson, Alan Belcher. It is free on YouTube, people, if you want to check that out. 8 p.m. Eastern, so that would be 5 in the Pacific time. Just throwing that out there. That's, that's Friday night. Cagedminds.com is where you find me. I will have an article up about that incredible event this weekend. Uh, social media, it's Cage Minds, Cage Minds Combat Sports News. <laughs> I may just wait and uh, read your recap. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Game bread going into the home of inbred in Mississippi. Interesting. All right. Hey, on X, we'll definitely be talking about it at Cage Minds MMA, uh, Cage Minds underscore CSN over there on the uh, Instagram. Find the show on X at MMA After Hours. You can get me at Real Mike Carlisle. We will talk to you next week for another episode of MMA After Hours here on the After Hours Podcast Network. Love combat sports? I have a website for you, cageminds.com. That's C-A-G-E-D-M-I-N-D-S dot com. Fight news from around the world, in-depth interviews, live event coverage. Covering combat sports for over a decade. Established in April 2011. That's cageminds.com.